First of all, I'm very honored to be here. Uh, anytime I get to fill in for a pastor, it's uh, pastors love to preach. And uh, when they give up a Sunday, it's like, whoa, I'm, I'm definitely honored. Uh, first, I want to talk a little bit about choices, and then I'll get into my message. Uh, I was telling Chris earlier, this, this we just celebrated our 25th anniversary uh, this past year. And this past week, we had our 5,000th client. 5,000 clients. And not all those clients were pregnant, but we probably had between 2,000 and 2,500, close to 3,000 babies come to our center. So pretty exciting. Thank you guys for your support for many years. One of the things that I'm promoting right now, of course, we're having a walk for life, but we have a dynamic parenting program that meets on Monday night. And uh, if you come to visit our center or if you volunteer there, uh, we do have clients scheduled periodically throughout the week. But if you come on Monday night at 5.30, you'll see our clients because they come back for our parenting class. And we have a lot of guys that actually come, which that's sort of what I'm, I'm involved with. I want to connect with the guys particularly to help the, the fathers of the babies. But uh, I'm always looking for church groups to come in. And uh, we start the meeting at 5.30, and we do a short devotional. And if you come from your church, it could be anybody from a teenager to a uh, pastor come and share a little five to ten minute devotional say I'm from this faith Bible fellowship we're right around the corner we like to invite you to our church and the kids the young people will hear this is a church that supports this ministry it's a place I could possibly go to attend so if you'd like if any of you would like to come on Monday night uh, contact me at the at the center and say I'd like to come on this date and uh, we'll put you in the slot and let you do the devotional and you can be there or if you want to get the group uh, together we feed the uh, group once a month on, on Monday. So if you'd like to organize a, a small meal for uh, our clients on Monday night and come and hang out with our clients, that'd be great. So, again, choices, over 25 years in Oak Ridge, over 5,000 clients, so it's pretty cool. Yes? How, how many people do you feed on a Monday night? It's about 20. Uh, and our room is a, our little conference room, and it's it's packed constantly, and uh, we're always adding do, uh, uh, more uh, in there um, that's one you know one of the things that we work do when we have a client and she's pregnant we do everything I can of course our, our main goal is to help her choose life for the baby but we want eternal life for the baby and the parents so that's part of this whole thing the parenting class the parenting class is about skills about being a parent but it also is about receiving the love of Jesus because we talk about that when we do the devotionals and know that we're a supportive place that loves you and cares for you and a safe place for you to come. And for many of the girls, unfortunately, it's like we're their church, which we don't want to, we don't want to be their church. We want them to find a church community. Uh, but it's, it's been exciting for me uh, to be there. Um, and again, thank you for your support. Um, I want to get into the message, but before I, as part of the message, I want to share a part of my testimony. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian home. My hometown is a little bitty place in about 60 miles from Memphis. It's a farming community. It's a place called Bolivar's, below Jackson, Tennessee. And I was raised in the church. I got saved in vacation Bible school as a young boy. I participated in the youth group, went on youth choir trips. Uh, actually got to do some personal evangelism and actually got to lead people to the Christ at early as age of 14 in Indianapolis and several other places around the, around the country. And uh, 
When I was 18, 19 years old, a very devastating thing happened. My parents had been struggling for many, many years in their marriage. Uh, There's there five kids. I was the fourth of five kids. My older siblings were gone, and I was a senior in high school, and me and my little brother, my brother was a junior. And uh, my parents went through this horrible divorce. Uh, they'd been struggling for many years, and finally uh, it sort of came to a head. And uh, during the divorce proceedings, the early part of it, my mom just had a breakdown. Uh, it just broke her heart. They had, they had dated since she was 16. They'd been married 30 years, had five kids, and already had a few grandkids, and it just broke her heart. <clears throat> and I was a I was a athlete. I I played a lot of sports, but football was my best sport. And I had just been awarded a scholarship to play football at Tennessee Tech, and I was so excited. But as a result of going, my mom going through this devastation, I decided to forego my college and spend the next year helping her. And the ironic thing is I worked for my dad. We, we had, my dad sold tractors and farm equipment. We were farmers. And my only option really to earn a living as an 18-year-old was to work for my dad. So the next year during this divorce, I worked for my dad and lived with my mom. And it was a tough time. And it tested my faith. But my mom is a real woman of faith. Uh, and she had an influence on me. And my, my older brother is a missionary. He, been, he just retired. He served in the mission field for 35 years. So all my whole family was, was in the church and saved. Uh, and this journey of faith with my mom was, was a testimony of God's faithfulness. They, they eventually did get divorced. And um, my, my mom says, son, I want you to go pursue your dream. My dream was to go to college, play football, earn a, foot, earn a scholarship, and then go on to the NFL because I'm a pretty big guy. I wasn't that great, but I had the... the the body for it. Uh, so I, I called my coach and said, Coach, I'm ready to come. Uh, my parents got there, you know, it's over with, and I, my mom wants me to come to school. So he said, well, I don't have any more scholarships, but you can come down here and we'll put you on the team. So I was training. I was in unbelievable condition. And uh, I arrived uh, in Cookville, Tennessee on August 1st, and the first week or two was great. I was in really good shape. I was so excited. And... Uh, about the second or third week, we started putting on pads, and in the middle of all that, the first, second week of putting on pads, I got hurt. I had an injury in my shoulder from my high school that I thought was, was done with, I thought was healed, but I re-injured it, but this was worse. And uh, it was so bad that they took me to Nashville, and when the doctor examined it, he told me that I would have to have surgery. And that's what happened. I was at St. Thomas Hospital in Nashville having surgery after putting off a year to play college football. So I got angry. I mean, I, I started, I mean, I, pray, I was a man of prayer. I prayed to God uh, all the time. I prayed for my mom. I prayed for my dad, my family. I prayed for my direction, my life. But this time I was angry at God. And I said, God, what are you doing? Why do you allow this? I mean, I, I've always done the right thing. And it was almost like an audible voice. He's like, football is your idol. He says, I want you to focus your attention on me. I have other plans for your life. And uh, right there in that hospital, after my surgery, the Lord began to speak to me about his plans for my life. So 
I finally went back to school. I didn't get to play that season, uh, but I was able to rehab, and I did play the next season. But in the meantime, the Lord began to stir in my heart. I have a plan for your life. So uh, I, w I became part of a uh, college ministry on campus. And through that ministry, God just began to stir in my heart to, to, to want to serve. Now, my older brother was a, he'd already gone to the mission field, and I saw his sacrifice. I mean, they went to the Philippines, and he was 22 years old, and they have a little baby. And, and I'm like, God, I can't do anything like that. <laughs> Please don't send me there. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, I volunteered the next summer, 1978. It was actually 40 years ago, 40 years ago this year. And I volunteered to be a summer missionary. And during the process, they had about 50 sites that you could go to as a college kid. And you could pick, they said, pick three, and we'll try to fit you into those three. So I said, the Lord, this is your summer. I'm leaving it blank. I left my, I mean, I filled out all the application. I had to share my testimony and hold that from a spiritual perspective. But where I was going to go, I was totally, it was totally in his hands. Now, I'm sort of a country boy, uh, might even call me a redneck. <laughs> I farmed, I've got road, drove tractors. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, lo and behold, the Lord decided to, to throw me a funny curve, and uh, he sent me to New Hampshire. So I got on a plane <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee, and I flew and landed in Boston, Massachusetts. And I was going to spend the summer up there. Well, lo and behold, I worked at a... Uh, ministry at the beach it was a coffee house ministry with 20 other college kids and the blessing of that summer was the Lord called me to the ministry I was 20 years old and he also introduced me to my future wife my wife was from New Hampshire she just graduated high school she was 17 her church ran the place that, that uh, I worked at and for the next year three years I pursued her she went to college in Houston Texas and finally, three years after meeting her, we got married in 1981. That started our journey of faith. Now, she knew that I served in ministry because God had put us together. And when we got married, we knew that our, our marriage was committed to God. But she says, now, you're not going to be a pastor, are you? You're not going to be. And I was studying accounting at the time in college. So I said, well, I'm going to pursue a business degree God's always going to use me I'm going to be in church we're going to serve God but I'm not ready to just say I'm going to go all in and, and be in ministry full time so that's the way we started 1981 I started my job actually with a natural gas pipeline company in Houston, Texas and uh, lived there and uh, well, we got married and uh, Houston's a pretty tough place to live and uh, I enjoyed my job. I, I did a lot of sports. I went to sports events. Uh, the company I owned had a golf course. I loved to play golf. So that part of the life was fine. But I, I rode a bus an hour into work every day downtown. And uh, there was a lot of crime and stuff. So I decided that I, I wanted to look at other ways. So my company was offering uh, promotions and transfers to go to the Northeast. And the pipeline that I worked for went all the way from Mexico to Maine. And they were expanding in the Northeast. So at the end of 1981, I hadn't even been there for a year, I volunteered to transfer to Massachusetts. And it turned out that I was an hour from where my wife grew up. So she was close to home. And uh, we got involved with a local church there. And God had our, our, had our 
thing on the path. And I served in two or three churches as a part-time volunteer doing youth work, and my wife sang. She's a worship person. And uh, that began our journey. Well, somewhere along the line, I got distracted from my calling in ministry in this pursuit of the almighty dollar. <laughs> I started making a lot of money. I remember when I first got my job in Houston, I flew down to Houston, Texas, and as a, a 22-year-old kid, and they put me up in the Hyatt Regency in Houston, and they offered me a job, and they were going to pay me $16,000 a year. And I took that job, and I'm t I went back and told my mom, I'm moving to Houston, Texas. I'm going, I'm going to get rich. That's what I told her, $16,000. Uh, so, but anyway, the, the money, the prestige, the power of all that sort of pulled me. And even though I knew I was a believer and God had his hand on my life and had a plan, I was sort of making my own plans. And I went back to, to college. I got an MBA, and that got, led me to more promotions. In the middle of all this, in 1985, we had our first child, our son, Scott. And uh, I started sort of being homesick. I'm like, I don't know if I can raise my son in a place like New England, even though I love New England, and uh, that's where my wife's family's from. But I said, I'm going to figure out a way to get back to Tennessee. So, so I finagled a, a transfer back with my company because the pipeline actually went from Houston up through Tennessee up into New England. So I finagled a transfer back to my, actually my hometown. Now, you can picture uh, my wife being from New England, moving to this little town. It's about like Kingston, Tennessee, or Clinton, Tennessee, and real country. And, uh, and again, I got distracted. I was back home. I was hunting. I was fishing. My wife had a newborn, and she actually was pregnant with our second child, Shelby, who was born in 87 in Memphis. And our marriage started just going downhill. We would go to church. We looked like the perfect little family, two little kids. Uh, we put on our smiley face, but our home was a tough disaster. And because I'd got this advanced degree, my company said, well, your next move is back to Houston, Texas. And I'm like, I don't want to do Houston, Texas again. And we had two environmental companies that worked for us. One actually had an office here in Oak Ridge. And they were looking for a business manager. So I looked into that, and sure enough, they interviewed me. And in 1989, December of 1989, I, I moved here, and my wife and kids moved here in, in May of 1990. My wife was in nursing school. So anyway, only after being in, in Tennessee a couple of years, we, we landed here in Oak Ridge. So in June of 1990, we were here. I built a brand-new house. I was managing an environmental company, uh, making a really good salary. My wife's a nurse. She immediately was able to get a job at the hospital. We had two little kids. My son, Scott, was five. He started school at Linden School. My daughter was at the Oak Ridge uh, Nursery School right over here, right down the street. And things got off. We found a church. We were going to Robertsville Baptist Church, one of your neighbors right here. Uh, and again, we looked like this perfect little family. Well, I came home one day after us fighting behind the scenes in our home, my wife and I, to this place where my wife says, I can't do this anymore. We're getting a divorce. I can't be with you anymore. And it broke my heart. It shook me up. And I went to a few of my guy friends at Robertsville Baptist, and I said, look, guys, 
I got to get this straightened out. I'm going to lose my family. And these men began to pray over me and help me. And uh, Jerry Mantooth was my pastor, and he's still a good friend today. And the Lord just began to stir on my heart. We did counseling. We did this Bible study called Experiencing God. Through that Experiencing God Bible study, the Lord reminded me, Tim, I called you when you were 20. When are you going to say yes? Well, long story short, a lot God did a miracle, did save my marriage, and confirmed my calling to my wife uh, shortly after us reconciling our marriage. And I went all in. I actually quit my job about a year later, and I went to seminary. And I commuted from here to Raleigh, North Carolina for three years. I left on Monday and came back on Friday. Now, my children by that time, uh, they were approaching middle school. But we, we had, I had four families that looked after my wife and kids while I was gone. And uh, I said, Lord, I want to I do this. I need education. So I went to seminary and my seminary degrees in counseling. In 1998, I finished seminary. In 1997, right before that, I was licensed ordained the ministry at Robertsville Baptist Church. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to go back to New England. When I, when I was at seminary, I went to a seminary called Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's actually in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And we formed a partnership back then to plant 50 new churches in New Hampshire. I'm like, New Hampshire? That's where my wife's from. That's what I'm supposed to do. Well, it didn't work out. I went up there the whole summer of 1998, right before I graduated, found the place where I thought the Lord wanted me to plant a church. And in January of the next year, 1999, the Lord closed the door and said, no, I want you to stay in Tennessee. About that time, I decided to start a counseling ministry, and I sent out letters to all the pastors. And I started a counseling ministry to help pastors that had congregants. They really didn't want to do counseling. They wanted to preach. And through, the, through that connection, actually, I think I sort of started hanging out with Chris a little bit, and there were three other pastors. And we used to pray together, trying to figure out what God wanted me to do with my life <laughs> uh, once I had my seminary degree. But eventually the Lord led me to, to go to work at Faith Promise Church, and they were still in the, in the Oak Ridge Mall. So I spent nine years as a counseling pastor at Faith Promise Church, and, uh, and then I spent nine years, at, I've been helping another church called Ridgepoint, and uh, in the middle of it all, I did prison ministry and I helped with choices. Back, back to this whole story about what this is going to be the, the culmination of my ministry. What happened to me when God took me through that brokenness to save my marriage is what I want to talk about today. And when I went to seminary, I studied counseling, so I didn't have to do a lot of Greek and Hebrew. I took one semester of each because it was so much over my head, out of my league. But I remember learning my most precious word in the Greek class, and it's still my favorite word today. And if you don't hear, remember anything I said the rest of the day, I want you to remember this word. And I'm sure Chris has preached on it before. It's the word agape. It's the Greek word for God's unconditional love. Now, one of the events that took place during my healing process, I had two significant events. One, I went on the walk to Emmaus, which many of y'all have heard of that. It's a, it's it's a three-day retreat. They have one for men and women. And during that retreat, the Lord just really touched my heart with his love. He showed me 
that part of my problem was I didn't know how to receive his love. But the most significant event, Bob Martin, who used to be a pastor here, he invited me to go to this event in Greensboro, North Carolina. Now, I was raised Southern Baptist, and, you know, it's a very similar church to like this church. We sang hymns, and we took the offering, and we, we knew God loved us, and we, we preached salvation and faith. But this particular event I went to, it was a, somewhat of a charismatic meeting, and it sort of made me feel uncomfortable. And th they were having people at the end of the service, the altar call, that you would go down and they would pray over you and you would fall out. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But the second night of this event, I was really desperate for God to show me things. So when the altar call came... I just went to the altar, and I just laid down. I wasn't going to fall down. I'm too big. <laughs> Something might get hurt. <laughs> so I went to the altar, and I just laid down. And I said, God, I surrender everything. Whatever, when I get up from this floor, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. And that, that's, that event was one of those first times where I truly experienced God's love. These men prayed over me that I didn't even know. They prayed things that for God to heal me, for him to show how much he loved me, and for me to receive his love. And from that day on, I've never been the same person. And I've got, I've got some significant scriptures I want to share regarding this because what I've experienced and what I see now, in John 10.10, 10, Jesus said that he came that we would have life abundantly. And as I meet with people and do counseling, I find out that Christians particularly don't have abundant life. But part of that is the first part of that verse, John 10, 10, says a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that you'd have life and have it abundantly. So what I want to talk to you about is that abundant life. But it starts with you understanding how deep and wide the love of Christ is. Now, I don't think the... The worship team knew that I was going to preach about God's deep love, but when that, when they prayed that when they sang that song today, it touched my heart. It was a confirmation to me that, that what I was going to talk about was important. So let me ask you a question. Most everybody in here is saved. I, I don't want to take that for granted. I hope you are. If you're not, if you haven't given your life to Christ, I hope you do. But being saved is huge. For your walk with Christ, but God wants to you to continually receive His unconditional love flowing in your life. Because without that, you're going to be ineffective. You're going to be beaten down. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So, my whole message today is about you receiving God's unconditional agape love on a regular basis. Because that's what he wants. He wants to, he, more than he wants you to serve him and do things for him, he wants you to receive his love. My, my primary scripture today is going to be found in 1 John 4. Now, since I'm a man, I like to read stories in the Bible about men. And I am intrigued by all the stories of the men of faith in the Bible. And I connect with so many of them. Uh, I learned a lot by studying King David. You know, he was a shepherd boy, 
He fought the lions, but he was also a worshiper. I need to learn that. I need to learn what it means to be a warrior and a worshiper. And then uh, some of the prophets. I mean, uh, I'm a very emotional guy, and sometimes when I read Jeremiah, even when I speak, I get emotional. I might get emotional before I finish today. <laughs> so that he was known as a weeping prophet. And then in the New Testament, I'm sort of a big mouth like Peter. You know, Peter was always that guy. He would say, Jesus, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And Jesus, wait a minute, don't stick your foot in your mouth. But Peter did some amazing things. He was the only guy that stepped out of the boat <laughs> and said, let me walk to you, Father, Jesus. All the rest of them were still in there. But anyway, with a person that I'm, I aspire to be, except our, our Savior Jesus Christ, is, is the man John. The, the Apostle John. Now, I don't know how much you know about him, but he was so close to Jesus when he wrote the Gospel of John, he didn't say anything that I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> so I want every one of you to sort of put your, per, your place, your, yourself in John's place. I want you to start thinking of yourself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because... The world, the circumstances, the tough things of life distract us away from receiving God's love. And without his love flowing in us, we're going to be totally ineffective. We're going to not have the abundant life. And God wants to pour out his love just for us to receive it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John 4, and we're finally going to get into the Scripture. 1 John 4, starting with verse 4, and... Sometimes I do the New American Standard, but today I'm going to read the New Living Translation, which it may be different from what you have. 1 John 4, verse 4 says, But you belong to God, dear children. You have already won a victory over those people, because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Those people who belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we, we belong to God. And those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. This is how we know if someone has a spirit of truth and a spirit of deception. Verse 7, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, in the original language, every place you see the word love is the word agape. Now, the, the, the thing with the English language, we use the same word for love for like spaghetti and meatballs and banana pudding and, uh, and people. We use the same word. But this word, this agape love word, is unconditional love of God. Unconditional means there's no conditions. It's poured out to us forever. So that's what John's talking about. When he wrote this book and the book of Revelation, he was an old man. And I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's like, I want to write these, these critical things that if people don't read the rest of the Bible, they read this and they get the gospel. And they, they understand the love of Jesus. So... I challenge you this week to take the little book, the epistle of 1 John, way back in the back of the Bible, and just read it and let, God, let it soak over you. Let's continue. Verse 9. 
God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal, have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God loves us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Verse 13. God has given us his spirit as proof as we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testified that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in, in him. Can you imagine that? That God lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit and his unconditional love. My challenge for me and, my, and all of us is to let that activate in our life on a regular basis. What I've come to find out, without God's love in my life, I'm a selfish person. I'm really worthless. But as I let God's love flow in my life, I become a person that he can use. Starting back with part through 16. God is love and all who live in, in God and God lives in him. Verse 17. And as we live in God, his love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. And we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verse 18, this is something I want you to think about. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment and shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love because he first loved us. This was me. This was me. I knew God loved me. In my head, Jesus loves me, this I know. I started singing it when I was about four. But I needed to experience it in my heart. And I was overwhelmed with fear. Two big fears. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. They overwhelmed me. And I was always trying to do the next thing, to get the next promotion, to make more money, to get the next approval. And I was always unsatisfied until... These men prayed over me, and I began to experience his love. And it took away this fear, this fear of failure, this fear of rejection. And this is, a, this is the continuation, verse 20. This is a tough one. It says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For we don't love people we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. You know, one of the most exciting things that I do at Choices Resource Center is I get to go to churches of all denominations. And it's a blessing. And when we, when we have the walk for life, and I get to see these churches come together and pray together and walk together, it blesses my heart. But I think the body of Christ really needs to do this, not just on these special occasions, but I think we need to do it 
together. So my challenge also for you, if you have a Christian brother or sister that you work with, no matter what denomination they are, if you both love Jesus, y'all need to love each other, support each other, and pray for each other. Because sometimes we get distracted by some of the minutia and the difference of some of the theology. There's only one Jesus, and we're going to worship him, and he's the only way to the Father. So let's focus on that. So how about you? Do you truly comprehend the depths of God's love? Because he wants to pour it out on you. He wants you to receive it. He wants you to let it flow in your life. I was reading some of some of the trying to get some illustrations for this message, and um, I remember some of the games I played with God, and it, it sort of came out like that the old daisy petal Christianity. When you when you were a little kid, you pulled the little petals. You said, "He loves me, loves me not," and I think sometimes because of Satan's attack on me and because of my unworthiness and my mistakes in my life, I sort of played that game with God. And God loved me no matter what I did, even when I was disobedient. And same thing for you. He, we can't earn God's love. We just, we just need to receive it. So how about you? How often do we find ourselves doubting God's love? When do you question God's love yourself? And how certain are you that God loves you as deeply as we sang about and we're hearing about in this message? 1 John 3, 1, which is sort of the catalyst for that song, it says, How great the love of God has lavished on us that we are called children of God. There's another song with children of God in it, 1 John 3, 1. That's what we are, children of God. You believe that God is your Father, your Heavenly Father. He loves you. He has his hand on your life. He knows the hairs on your head. That's amazing. You know, I, I sometimes imagine what it might have been like to walk with Jesus, to listen, to sit at his feet like the disciples. But even they struggled. You know, some of the movies have tried to portray what it might have been like. And, uh, you know, the other thing about John that inspired me is when Jesus was going to the cross, the only man that went to the cross with him was John. And he took Mary, his mother. So that's the kind of faith I want to have in my Lord Jesus. I want to have that faith that I will walk to the cross with him. Because I want to be that disciple that, that says, I'm the disciple of Jesus' love. That he loves you, too. He loves you like that. So, I'm going to have a little bit more time, but... I want, to, I want to try to end on this thing. I want us to learn how to pray to receive God's love. Have you ever thought about that? I think when we go to God, we do things like the Lord's Prayer does. It's sort of our model prayer. But I think the way that I want to sort of encourage you to pray, uh, of course, we need to thank Him for all His blessings. But the greatest prayer, I think, that you can pray for yourself is God, please pour out your love on me. Fill me up with your love. Empty me of my selfish love. There's another Greek word that we have without God. It's called eros. It's a selfish kind of love. We have that regardless. 
but for agape, we have to say, God, I need it. Please pour it out on me. I think if we learn to do that on a regular basis, letting God's love flow in our life, pour into our life, then we're going to be transformed. God's love is unconditional and everlasting. There's no one that God does not love. Everybody. <clears throat> His love reaches beyond every sin or failure. There's no more important person than you in this world. We do, need, we do need to have a reverent fear of God because he is the creator, he is our judge. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we don't have to worry about judgment. But we still have a, need to have a desire to be obedient to him. And I think as we allow God's love to flow in our life, it's going to help us be obedient. <clears throat> so do you see God as your loving Heavenly Father? God's not only interested in us serving and sacrificing. He wants us to be loved, to receive his love. As we allow God's love to flow in our life, everything else will fall in place. So can you pray to God and say, God, I need your love. Please pour out your love on me. I think that's the prayer I want to pray over you, and I want you to pray over yourself. You know, the prodigal son story, there was two brothers. You know that story? Now, the one brother, the younger brother, he was foolish. And he went out and spent his inheritance. And when he was eating with the pigs, he, he, he said it came to his senses. And he ran back to God, and he, he ran back to his father. And he was thinking, when I get back to my father, I'm just going to tell my father, I'll just be a servant. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want anything. Just let me work here, and I'll be a servant. And when his father met him with open heart, he said, no, let's, let's throw a party. My son, it was lost, but now he's found. And he received him. That's the way God's love is for us. But what about the other brother? <laughs> That was always there. <laughs> well, see, part of his thing is he was stuck on doing things for God. And we, did, we do need to do things to God for God. But right there with his father every day, God wanted him to pour his love on him as well. Because he got angry about his brother. Instead of celebrating, he got angry and jealous. And I think that's sometimes my struggle I think, well, God shows more love on this person than to me. Or God's forgiven this other person more than he's forgiven me. But that's the tactics of the enemy. Let God receive you and love you. Sometimes when I'm praying, now I'm a big guy, uh, I sort of picture myself running to God figuratively and getting up in his lap and letting him embrace me. And uh, you know, as a counselor in certain circumstances, you know, 
I feel so compelled to hug people. <laughs> and I've got a daughter. She'll be 31 next week, and we are very close. And uh, I always tell some of my close uh, friends that are about her age, I said, look, someday, you know, I might just come put my arm around you and give you a big hug. I'm like, part of it's because I miss my girl. <laughs> but I don't think we hug each other enough. And it needs to be appropriate, of course, uh, both male and female. But I think that's another, the body of Christ needs to really show affection to each other as we allow God's love to flow in our life. In fact, Scripture even talks about giving a holy kiss as when we meet. Uh, and I think sometimes uh, we, we're so concerned about how it might look from the public instead of letting God's love flow in our life. I want to close with this final scripture. Ephesians 3, 17-19 says this. I pray, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to get, together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. To know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, you know every person in this room. And for, Lord, you created them inside their mother even before they were born. And Lord, I pray for everyone, most of all, that you'll remind them just how precious they are to you, how much you love them. That you'll take away the lies of the enemy. It says they're not worthy of love. But because of Christ and his love and sacrifice for us, we can receive your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your eternal life. So, Lord, my, my prayer for each person, Lord, that you would pour out your love on them, that they would receive your love. Your love would heal them. Your love would empower them to be your servants, that you would show out your love on them, that you would touch them deeply. And that more and more throughout the day of our lives, every day of our lives, that we will receive your love continually. Let your love flow through us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for Chris. I do pray for healing for him as well, Lord. Heal his body. Strengthen him. And Lord, there's others in this room that need a special touch from you today. Pour out your love. Pour out your grace, your mercy on them. May we all receive the things you want us to receive. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.